Welcome to the Foundry Church, where we're all about a better you and a better world. Whether you're joining us in person or online, thank you for being here. Uh, we begin this new series. It's a new year. It's 2020, and and can you believe it's 2020? Like this is like what they used to talk about when you were growing up about that date way out there. There would be flying cars, and we would, it would be like the Jetsons, and we would get little cubes of food, and you know it would fill us. Um, in fact, I came across an article this week talking about how. We are currently living in the future that, you know, to some degree that we had always talked about. Um, let me show you some of these pictures that kind of explain this, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, here, here's the first one. When we talk about um, computers and how technology has advanced. Uh, on the, your right is 132 megabytes, stacks the old floppy disk. There you go. And then in his other palm, 128 gigabytes in the palm of his hand. It's wild. Check this one out. This is um, the world's smallest computer, okay? Just to give you some perspective, it's sitting next to a grain of rice. <laughs> yeah, right? We are living in the future, people. When you can make a computer smaller than a grain, a computer used to take up like this room, right? Now it's smaller than a grain. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. We live in the future, right? Next one. This is, uh, okay, hey, remember when you were in high school and the Razor was the new, hottest, coolest phone in the world? It's now on display in a museum. Feel old? Yeah, remember the Razor, Motor, and, and, oh gosh, everyone had the flip phone. It's now, that is in a, that was like 2004 or something. It's in a museum. All right, how about this one? Okay, this is 1994 versus now. So you had the, the Palm Pilot, the video camera, the computer, the watch, the pager, the cell phone, uh, the uh, Polaroid camera, and the Discman, right? You, you guys have these things? You remember these things? Yeah, yeah. I remember my dad had the Discman. That was my, my favorite thing. Now it, fit, it goes in your pocket. It's, it's one thing in your pocket. Uh, or what about this one? I thought this one was great. Uh, my, kid, my friend's kid is charging his shoes via their couch. The future is a weird place. <laughs> this is like back to the future part three, but, you know, in, in real life. So uh, despite, you know, the, we live in this crazy world, and it's these crazy times where all, everything is advanced, everything is moving forward. And, and a lot of times what we see in the news and social media and all this stuff is just the bad stuff. Uh, and, and there is a lot of good that's happening. There's good happening in advancements of technology. There's still good people in the world trying to do good things. And, and yeah, and so it's good to be reminded of that. It's good to speak towards the good. It's good to affirm things like goodness and beauty and truth in the world wherever we find it. And the truth is, it's really easy to be a critic. Anybody can be cynical, and it's lazy. It's lazy to be a critic. It's really easy to find the bad. To find the bad, wherever you're looking for, you will find it. It's really easy to find the wrong in somebody, and it's way more difficult and way more challenging to intentionally seek out and search for that which is good. And my hope and my prayer for you in this new year in 2020 that this will be a year of training ourselves to see the world a bit differently. That we will train ourselves to look for and find the good. And that we will not just look for and find the good, but that we will actively pursue like bringing good into the world and helping others to see and do the same. And I don't know about you, I'm excited for this year 2020. I'm excited. I got a lot of things coming up I'm working on in my life. I'm excited for the things of this church and where we're going and what we've accomplished in the past and where that's leading us to today. And I'm excited for you guys and, and whatever 2020 has in store for you. So we begin our new series, Welcome uh, the Gospel According to Fred. 
<laughs> which I thought was a great title. We had many people that were confused by this. I thought it would be a bit more obvious than what it is, but we're talking about the one and only Fred Rogers. Uh, in 2018, not too long ago, there was a documentary that came out uh, called it, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And it's all about the life and work of the one and only Mr. Fred Rogers. Did anybody grow up watching Mr. Rogers? Anybody put their kids in front of Mr. Rogers? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's like a staple in uh, children's television in America, around the world. Most kids growing up in the 70s, 80s, 90s know about who Mr. Rogers is. And so I was watching this documentary, and I just kept finding myself going, like, wow, like this, this guy is, is really inc incredible. He's, he was an incredible human being. The things he did, the topics he faced, the, he was like this one-man revolution wrapped in a sweater. Like it's this beautiful sort of thing. And as a kid, I, you know, I'm, I'm, watching, I'm watching him as I was growing up. He was a friendly face that taught us things, kept us entertained, and, and was a good thing. But as I watched this documentary as an adult, I was just blown away by the stuff that he was actually up to, the things that he was actually trying to address through a children's television show. He was talking about things like racism during the civil rights movement to kids. He, he was talking to kids about death. He, he talked to the kids about the assassination of JFK. Like the little puppet, Daniel Tiger, says, what does assassination mean? Like these are the conversations he was having. He, he taught us how to wonder. He taught us how to look at the world and, and that learning is everywhere. He taught us how to slow down. He taught us how to handle hard and difficult feelings. And all of this was done because of his understanding of who God is and what the Bible is and the message of Jesus. I mean, it's really, it's quite impressive. And then this past November, just a couple months ago, there was another movie that came out with Tom Hanks um, uh, called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. My dad went and I uh, went to go see it, and just, just a great, a great movie. Tom Hanks does such a great job. Um, and then all these little pieces of the documentary that I saw are like highlighting itself into the film, and I just continued again to find myself going, man, this guy, this guy like gets it. Like he, he really gets it. He embraced the teachings of Jesus in such a deep way to love God and to love people in this visible, tangible, accessible sort of way, in a beautiful, deeply powerful sort of way. And he was never preaching at anybody. It's just that he lived his life and he created a show in such a way that it was an invitation to live a deeper sort of connected life with, filled with wonder and awe and love. And he did all of it on national television in front of millions of people like five days a week for nearly 30 years. I just kept continually finding myself going, I'm just more and more impressed and inspired by his example, by his witness, by his testimony. And I thought, you know, this would be a really good sermon series. And then when you consider like the world we live in and say the world, all the hatred we have, the division, the hurt, the death that seems to be the world we live in, I thought, maybe this is just what we need like a bit of fresh air, a bit of hope, a bit of love, a bit of encouragement, someone who took the gospel of Jesus and lived it out, somebody who embraced the good news of Jesus and brought comfort and hope to the lives of millions of people by walking with them through their life, by, by being with them day in and day out, by being with them through the ups and downs, through the difficulties and the trials, and that maybe through the one who comforted us years ago, maybe we can find a renewed sense of comfort and wonder and awe and love and being inspired through him and the examples of Jesus that he laid out for us. So that's what we're going to do. That's what the next couple of weeks is going to be about. We're going to look at the life and the show of Mr. Rogers and how he incorporated the teachings of Jesus into everything he was doing. And that's why we've called it the gospel according to Fred. 
Yeah. So let me give you a little insight here, a little background, just a few things, and then we'll get to our big idea for today. I figured it's the first week, so we got to do a little setup. So Fred McFeely Rogers was born uh, in Latrobe, Pennsylvania in 1928, just outside of Pittsburgh. He went to college and got his undergraduate degree in 1951, and he did it right here at Rollins College. Yeah, did you know that? He graduated from Rollins College with his degree in uh, music composition, which is most of the music, a lot of the songs that were written were written by him, like because that was his background. Uh, he later went to do his graduate work at uh, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, and then he became an ordained Presbyterian minister in 1963, 68, 63. Um, he was not a sharpshooter in the military, as some you've heard, maybe heard some of those rumors, like he was this like elite sniper. His body is not covered in tattoos. That's like that's why he wears a sweater. It's not a thing. Uh, his sweaters were knit by his mom, which is like very sweet, you know. Uh, the first episode of Mr. Rogers aired in 1968. And what I found really incredible was the inspiration for the show. So after he graduated in 1951 from Rollins, he uh, went home and he had this experience where he, like, for the first time in his life had seen television. And so he was watching television and he saw what was on TV and what, they, what the programming was for children. And he said, this is not good. Like, this is, th in fact, this is, this is bad. You know, and, and so think about that. In 1951, you had a guy looking at the programming for children saying, this is not good. I mean, compare that to what kids are watching now, right? So this, this to me is a lesson of itself. He saw this thing and he saw the potential and the power of the television, but he saw how it was being, being misused. And so he wanted to do something about it. And this set like the trajectory for the rest of his life. In an interview with CNN, he said this about going into television. He said, I went into television because I hated it so. And I thought there's some way of using this fabulous instrument to nurture those who would watch and listen. So he saw the power of the platform and he saw how it was being used. He said, this is not good. It could be, it should be used for something better. It should be something that can actually help people. And so that's what he did. It was his disdain for the medium of television that led him to entering and influencing and having an impact on the medium of television. Anybody ever look at um, any of your social media stuff, YouTube, online, internets, Facebooks, Instagrams, and go, oh man, there's just so much garbage out there. Anybody ever delete any sort of account because there's just too much? Which I totally get, I totally understand, but I think maybe this would have been where he was at, but instead of like shutting it off or moving away from it, he stepped into it. He stepped into it to bring good to it. That to me is a huge message in, in and of itself. I see so many Christians that are withdrawing from the world because it's just too much or it's too negative or it's too whatever. And Mr. Rogers said, no, no, no. I'm going to step into it and I'm going to be a part of it and I'm going to bring good into it and I'm going to help change it. Yeah, so over the past several months, I, I've been doing all this research, all this stuff, I've been watching episodes upon episodes of Mr. Rogers, right? Uh, like saturating myself in the life and the work of Mr. Rogers, and I think I've overdone it. <laughs> I think I've overdone it, I, because I will be doing stuff throughout my day, and just randomly, like, bits and pieces of the intro or the outro song will come on in my head, you know? It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling you're growing inside. I'm developing hand motions. Um, <laughs> It's, and the other night, I realized I really overdid it when I was, I was getting ready for bed, and I was, like, locking the door, shutting lights off and all that stuff. And then 
Like, in my subconscious mind, there was, like, a background piano track. Like, when he's in the neighborhood of make-believe, it was just like, I'm like, what is happening in my brain that I'm so, I just, it's, it's, been, it's been a bit too much. So, um, over the past couple, uh, couple months, I've been trying to lay out this, like, what would this whole series look like, and how do we put this together? Because there's just so much stuff. And, and so I was like wrestling with like, it's, it's hard to separate one particular topic or issue out because everything is like so tied together in the life and the work of Mr. Rogers. And so I was in the office and I was just kind of lamenting the woes of a preacher. Oh, what am I going to do? What am I, how do I put this together? There's too many different things. And, and so Joseph, our worship minister, he said, well, maybe that's the first message. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, that's the first message that there is no separation between who he was and what he believed. Like there was just him. It, it was all one thing. It was his life. There, there wasn't who he was and what he did. He was fully integrated. His faith was integrated into all that he was. There wasn't on-screen Mr. Rogers and then off-screen Fred. There wasn't do what I say and not what I do. There was just him. Everything he did and everything he was was the embodiment of what he believed. And so I thought, yeah, Joseph, Joseph's a pretty smart guy. <laughs> And so I thought, yeah, yeah, that, that's, what we, that's what we're going to talk about. So, I mean, and I, the more I thought about that, isn't this, the, isn't this the goal? Like, isn't this the goal of what we're doing? Isn't this what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus? That we have this integrated, like, all-encompassing sort of faith. That our faith isn't something that we believe in our minds just up here. And it's not just something that we talk about from time to time with friends and we show up. To, it's not something that we just, some lofty idea that we subscribe to for the sake of, you know, like, one day we'll die and we have to have some sort of plan or something. It's it's, it's so much bigger than that. Right? It's a particular way to live in the here and now that should penetrate every facet of our being. I mean, isn't, this, isn't that like the very thing that Jesus talked about? Right? Matthew chapter 22 this all-encompassing, pervasive sort of faith. This is, if you've been in the church, this is going to be a very, like, you, you know this passage. But I want to talk about it hopefully in like a slightly different sort of way. You know this passage. Matthew 22, Jesus gets asked this question about what's the greatest commandment in all the law. Okay, so there's 613 laws in, in the Torah. And so this guy, it's like, really? It's like, what's the one greatest? Okay, out of 613. Yeah. So Jesus says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus says the greatest commandment out of all 613 things in the Torah, the greatest thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then Mark, Mark adds, and strength. All your heart, your soul, your mind, strength. Now, you can try to parse these out and separate them. Well, this means this and strength versus heart, but what's soul versus mind and how to... Or you can like simplify it in theory and understand it as this idea that it's, it's this all-encompassing sort of thing. It's loving God with the entirety of every aspect of who you are. Loving God with all aspects of your existence. It's not just following a bunch of rules. It's a particular way of living and being. Then he said the second greatest commandment is that part of loving God with every facet of your being is to love other people to love God's children the way that you would want to be loved. And I don't know about you, but maybe the way that I would want to be loved is that I want to be loved with a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness because I need it and a lot of mercy and a lot of... He says 
all things, all these other things, the law and the prophet, hang on these two things. These two things are so important that if you can get it right, if you can step into this, then everything else will flow out of that. You see, the teaching and the invitation of Jesus is this all-encompassing, pervasive sort of thing. It's this integrated, holistic sort of faith that who you are and what you believe and what you do in all aspects of your life and being should all be intertwined and overlapping. Like there should not be any sort of separation or any piece that can be extruded from the other. It's like, you want to know what it's like? It's like a, um, it's like a plate of spaghetti. You can write, that's your note, your important note. What did that say? Faith is like spaghetti. We, I was making spaghetti for the kids, and we had the sauce, and you've had the tomatoes and the ingredients, and you put the spices in the sauce, and you can't really separate the ingredients from the sauce because then it's not a thing. It's just a mess. And then you take that sauce, and you pour it on the big plate of noodles, and you can't really separate the noodles from the sauce. I mean, you can, but it's really difficult and really messy. Like, no, it's, it's like one thing. The spaghetti is the one thing. That's the, that's the dish. That's the meal. That's, that's, what, that's the picture here. Like, it's all one thing. It shouldn't be able to be separated out from one another. Now, in Luke, Jesus has another conversation, and it goes something like this, Luke chapter 10. He says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, Jesus. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will Live. And this is so great. Jesus gets asked this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And how does Jesus respond? Well, Jesus responds with a question because that's how he rolls. He's like always asking another question, asking another question. And the guy responds to Jesus' question by saying essentially the same thing that Jesus said to the other expert in the law in the book of Matthew. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. You, you got it, man. Now, do that and you will live. The guy asks, how do I have eternal life? Jesus says, what's the law say? He says, the law says this. And Jesus says, yeah, you do those things and you will live. There's this idea that eternal life, that, that, that this eternal life that can be had can begin in the here and now when you begin to live in a way that your faith takes up residence within the entirety of your being. When you have this integrated holistic, all-encompassing sort of faith, then you will live. Often, it seems like when it comes to religion and faith and Christianity or whatever, people live with this idea that there's like the self and then there's faith and religion and belief. And, and the idea is, the goal is that if I can get the self to adhere to this particular set of rules and laws, if I can do that well enough, that when it comes to the end of my life, there will be this reward, this heaven, this eternal life sort of thing. But I think what this points to is a little bit different. It's not that there's the self and then there's this list of to-dos in order to receive the prize, but there's this particular kind of life, the kind of life that will be eternal is the life that is lived so completely saturated with love in the entirety of your being with this love of God and love of people that there is no distinction and separation and that everything you do in the rest of your life will be birthed out of the indwelling love that is. Maybe we can think of it this way. It's like a Fitbit. <laughs> First you have spaghetti, now you have a Fitbit, okay? 
It's like a Fitbit. Uh, in the new year, many people start with new resolutions. We start making changes. Uh, I did this a couple years ago. To, I wanted to get in better shape, so I started to run. So I got myself a Fitbit to help me do this, right? So the Fitbit had the heart rate monitor. Also, it would track your steps. It would track your mileage. It would track calories. It would tell you your heart rate. If you sat around for too long, it would tell you it's time to get up and move, right? I remember being in, in the office, and I'd be working on something, and it would tell me it's time to move. So I'd get up, and I followed the instructions, to, followed it to the letter of the law. I get up, walk around the office, come back, get back to work, you know, no problem. It became my little, like, friend, my coach, my wrist. I follow all the instructions all the way that I was supposed to. Um, and then eventually, over time, I began to develop the, the, the habit of running. And it wasn't um, something that I loathed anymore. It wasn't something that I hated or dreaded. It was like kind of a part of who I was, and I became like this, it became like a desire within me that I wanted to run because I enjoyed it. And so I began to run further and further and further, and then one day I remember um, I, I had, uh, I decided I was going to run a half marathon, 13.1 miles, this is a big deal. And, I, and at the time, I'd only run maybe like eight, nine miles tops, so I was going to push myself to run a little bit further. So I said, okay, I'm going to do this, and not like in a race, I just was going to do it on, on like Tuesday or something. So I got up early, I got myself ready, I went for a run. I took my Fitbit and I said, I'm going to show you Fitbit, count these steps, buddy. And so I took off running and, it, and, I, and I made it. I made 13.1 miles. It took me a couple hours. I made all this, you know, this whole thing. It was a great time. I was a little sore because I'd never run that far before, but I could feel the ache in my body. I come to church, so I come to the office to do some work. And, you know, when you get a soreness after you've done something, like some good physical labor or something good, like you, you appreciate the soreness because it's like a sign of something you've accomplished. So I'm sitting in my office typing away and my legs are sore, but I'm okay with it because I feel like I did something good. And then my Fitbit has the audacity and the nerve to tell me, time to move. And I was like, are you kidding? Are, I, I put on, I quadrupled my steps for the week in this one. I ran for two hours. I moved further than I've ever tried to move before. And it's not enough for you? Like, what must I do to make you happy? <laughs> You see, I went, from, I went from simply following the rules, following the directions and the instructions of the watch, there was the self and trying to get the self to move, to coming to a place where it became a part of who I was, and eventually I didn't need the watch to tell me when to move. I, I, I eventually, I don't wear the stupid Fitbit anymore, one, because I'm like, I, I gave you your time, I've had enough of you, you're holding me back now, but uh, I, I just, I, I've moved beyond that, and to the place where running has become a part of me, and it's, and it's affected other things that I do in my life, and there's no longer the self, and just getting the self to follow the rules, there's just me living a better life. So the Fitbit, whatever fitness tracker you may have or may be thinking about getting or got for Christmas or whatever, it, it's a bit like the law. It, it's, it's an okay place. It's a good place to start. You've got to have some boundaries. It helps get you heading in the right direction. But it's not the goal. The goal is not to follow the rules and the law better so that you are the best rule follower in the whole world so that you can prove your love to God by how well you followed the rules. The goal is that the love of God is so deep within the entirety of your being that everything else you do in your life flows out of who you already are. You see, for me, along this running journey, 
the more I, more I began to run, the more it began to affect other parts of my life. I began to eat better. I began to drink less soda. basically cut soda in my life. It led me to thinking about what I'm putting into my body, which actually led me to, like, I grow vegetables now. I grow my own vegetables, some of them. You know, some of them, the corn didn't do good this year, but the tomatoes are killing it, so I'm excited about it, right? Because I'm more my, it's all stems from this place because I started doing this one thing and I moved beyond the place where I was. The goal is that the love of God is so deep within your being that everything else flows out of who you already are. Because when you do that, here, here's the thing, when you, when you get to this place, when you do that, you don't have to spend a lot of time worrying and wondering about did I or didn't I do the right thing? You don't have to spend a lot of time worrying about am I living the right way? Is God happy with me? Is God... No, no, no. There's this freedom and this depth of life that comes from this integrated an all-encompassing, holistic sort of faith. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, with the entirety of your being. And when that love takes up residence in the entirety of your being, love other people the way that you want to be loved, which I assume, again, is with much grace and mercy and kindness and patience. And Jesus says, when you do this, you will have life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Do this and you will have life, the kind of life that is eternal. There's this great scene uh, in, in the new movie, uh, Mr. the Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks, um, where the, in, the guy who's interviewing Mr. Rogers, uh, he, he's trying to get like behind what he believes to be a facade of, of Mr. Rogers. And so there's this particular moment where and he says, essentially, um, you know, we see Mr. Rogers on TV. Okay, that's great. He's a good guy, whatever, whatever. But, like, who's the, I want to know the real Mr. Rogers. And, and Mr. Rogers has this great line in response, which speaks to kind of who he was and how he functioned. And he said, like, I'm not sure what you mean. I'm not sure what you mean. So this guy's looking for some sort of separation. Here's the facade, and there's the guy behind it. And Mr. Rogers is like, what? As if to say, there's not a separation. There's nothing there's not on-screen Mr. Rogers and then off-screen Fred. There's not do as I say, don't do as I do. There was just him. There was just him. Everything that he was and did and believed, it was all one. If you look at his off-camera life, there was not a different Fred. His whole life was an expression of, what his, of his faith. In fact, he was a very disciplined man in, 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 in his normal life. He would get up every morning at 5, at 5 a.m., to read his Bible and to pray, and he would keep a list of people, family members, and friends that he would pray over and express gratitude to God for. He would go to the pool every morning at 7.30 and go for a swim because he wanted to keep his physical body in good shape, and there's a whole story about that, about his weight and the numbers and what that, it's this whole really cool thing. But every time before he would jump into the pool, he would sing this old Latin hymn that he picked up along the way, um, Jubilete Deo, which is like the glory, the joy of God. He would dive in. Then he would continue to his work, and he would, when he would get to the studio every morning as he walked into the studio, he would pray that God would allow him to be a vessel for the good news of Jesus. And then he would make sure he was in bed every night by 9.30 p.m., right? He had this regimented schedule because he wanted to give the best of himself to the very next day. I mean, just 
he just maintained this like wonderful sort of disciplined sort of life. And then even when it came to like his diet and, and what he ate, and he, he had a simple strict diet. Um, he didn't drink any alcohol. He, he didn't eat any meat. And all of this was because of his love of God and people. And it was so deep within him that he felt like this was his natural response to it. In fact, he stopped, he stopped eating meat in the 70s before it was like cool. Right, like he was, he was doing this a long time ago because he read this book called A Diet for a Small Planet. And he believed that that book made a compelling case for a plant-based diet for the sake of bringing an end to world hunger. So because of his love of God and because of his love of people, he decided that he would only eat plants because he felt like that had the ability to help feed more people. So he gave that uh, but he was doing an interview um, talking about being a vegetarian in, in one particular magazine. And he said this about his diet and how he eats. And, and this is fascinating to me because this takes it to like a whole new level. Look what he says. He says, I want to be a vehicle for God to spread his message of love and peace. Now, he's talking about eating. How many of us have taken our faith to the extent through everything that we do to the point that even when we talk about something like eating or shopping or playing we have a response like this. I want to be a vehicle for God to spread his message of love and peace. He believed that to love God, to love God deeply was to care for the things of God. And so the reason he gave up eating meat was because he believed that he was meant to care for and nurture and love God's creatures, to enjoy God's creation, to enjoy God's animals, not to kill and to eat them. I mean, it's fascinating, right? Like how far this whole thing can go. And so on, 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 uh, on his show in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, they never showed anybody ever eating meat in any scene. They did a lot of talking about how to eat healthy. They did a lot of talking about all this stuff, about food. They talked about jobs, working in restaurants. And they never showed anybody eating meat. For Mr. Rogers, even his diet, being a vegetarian, connected him deeply to this idea of loving God and loving people. It was this expression of what he believed he had been called to. He lived this all-encompassing, integrated sort of faith where his love for God and his love for people saturated the entirety of his being. Everything he did was an expression of what he believed. And the result, the result of this is that millions of people grew to love and respect and listen to Mr. Rogers. Because when you do this, when you live this life that we've been called to by Jesus, Jesus says you will live. You will find the kind of life now that steps into the life eternal. You will have the kind of life now that people are going to be naturally drawn to because there's something good there. There's this great quote from Mr. Rogers um, and it kind of sums up maybe this idea of like an integrated sort of faith. And I want you to see what he says. Uh, he says, try your best to make goodness attractive. That's one of the toughest assignments you'll ever be given. Try your best to make goodness attractive. This is one of the toughest assignments you will ever be given. As we move into a new decade, 2020, the future that is the present, as we make our plans, our New Year's resolutions, the things that we want to do, as we navigate this world that seems to be like continually growing with more and more tension, people are at odds with each other for like one or a hundred different reasons, Right? And we just get these pictures of, uh, online from the news, and it's just like doom and gloom, and the world is going to end. And how do we have hope? Where do we find hope? Where do we take come? Maybe, maybe the thing we need in a moment like this in a world we live in and moving into a new decade of 2020, maybe, maybe what we need is 
just more people like you. Like more, more people like you making goodness attractive. You see, because in order to make goodness attractive, it means you are going to have to start bringing goodness into the world. Is how you are living now bringing goodness into the world. And the way, by the way, that you bring goodness into the world is by aligning yourself with the ultimate good that is God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our vision at the Foundry is for a better you and a better world, and our mission, the way that we carry that out, is um, by reclaiming God's intended reality. And to me, this all speaks to this exact concept, this idea of this all-encompassing, integrated sort of faith, which I think is really what we see Jesus doing throughout his life, throughout his teachings, and especially when you come to passages like this where he says... Love God with the entirety of yourself and then take that love and give that away to the people around you, God's children, the people that he created, that he loved just as much as he loves you. And then Jesus says, do this and you will live. And so maybe, maybe the question for us this new year, as we step into 2020, this new decade, maybe the question for us is, is there any component of ourselves, of our life, of our faith, of our religion. Again, look at that, how we talk about it. We even separate it. Is there any component of ourself that is keeping us from living? It's keeping us from living. And, and, and by living, we mean like life to the fullest, the way that Jesus is calling us to. Do this and you will live. Is there any pattern of thought that you maintain? Any pattern of action? Any sort of that is keeping you from living, that's preventing you from stepping into the life that Jesus invites us to. So maybe this year, if you're making resolutions or you're thinking about changes or you're just excited to start a new year, maybe your resolution this year needs to be finding and acknowledging that thing and then stepping towards that thing, stepping into that thing, stepping through that thing with this all-encompassing love of God and this outpouring of love towards others. But be warned, be warned, because this is, this is the difficult thing. This is what Ms. Rogers says. Bring good, but it's gonna, this is the most difficult assignment you can have. This is not easy, because it may mean there's going to be some major changes that you need to make in your life. It may mean we need to think and act differently. It, it may mean that you need to forgive somebody that you've been holding a grudge against for a while now. Anybody have any of those in your life? You see, when you have an integrated faith, forgiveness should be the natural response. It shouldn't be, well, I'm working on it. Well, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe in forgiveness, and I believe in grace, and I believe in mercy, but I'm not sure that it extends to you. Uh, that's the difficult thing, isn't it? Isn't that the difficult thing? That's way harder to bring that kind of goodness into the world. Maybe, maybe for us it means... Uh, there's some people you've written off. Maybe it's somebody you know personally. Maybe it's somebody that you don't know that lives on the other side of the world. But you've written them off for whatever reason. And maybe you need to figure out how to love them the way that God loves you or the way that you would want to be loved. That's a difficult thing because those people are like this. And these other people, they are like that. And I don't know that I can handle 
Maybe for you, it means making some changes when it comes to how you interact with others. Maybe it means allowing somebody who has a different opinion about something have a voice. <laughs> Do I need to mention politics? Can we just assume that that's what he's talking about? What would it look like to listen to somebody with a different opinion in love? Because what happens a lot of times is we have this thing called the internet and Facebooks and people get on there and start flapping their gums and they just blast their opinion out and nobody's actually listening. No one's taking time to have a conversation. It's just here's what I believe and here's why you are not good, right? It's hard to do that. It's hard to listen. And when you see people make political posts, what is your first response? Is it, do you immediately pick a side? Do you go, amen, brother, preach it. Those people on the other side, they need to hear that. Or do you go, I can't believe they said that. And what, here's what's wrong with Or maybe there's like a different way. Like maybe we could talk about this. Or hey, you know what? Maybe we could realize at the end of the day we're still God's children. Maybe we should just get a cup of coffee and like give each other a hug. Is that too idealistic? <laughs> Seth, we can't do that. We can't look beyond our political boundaries. That's way too difficult. Do you ever think that when we talk about the things of Jesus and what God has actually called us to do through Jesus, like that should trump any sort of petty, stupid differences we have? I'm, I'm rambling. I don't mean to. Maybe, maybe this means maybe this means um, maybe this means you need to give a, a hug to an enemy. You got any of those in your life? You got anybody you've drawn a line against and said they're out? I will not deal with them. Maybe you need to give them a hug. <laughs> maybe it means that for you, maybe you need to put a little bit more effort into the physical body that God has given you. That you need to care for it and respect it the way that He has asked you to. Maybe for you it means we need to put a little more effort into taking care of God's creation and the planet that he has given us that he has asked us to be stewards over. Like maybe it shows, maybe we need to show a little care towards that. Maybe it means for you rethinking how and what and why you eat the way you do. Maybe for you it means rethinking how and why and where you spend your money. Maybe for you it means rethinking how and what and where and why you spend your time the way you do. You see, when you go, there's the self and then there's the rules and then I just have to follow the rules. One, it's kind of boring. Two, it's just a checklist. This thing that Jesus is inviting us to is this deeper way to live. The man says, "How? what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, love God with the very essence of your being, with all aspects of every component of who you are and then allow that love to pour out to others as, as a way of loving God anyways. When you do that, you will have life. Do this and you will live and it will be the kind of life that will step into eternity. But it's not easy. This is a way more difficult thing to do. It's way more difficult to make every decision of your life stem from what you believe about who God is. Try your best to make goodness attractive. That's one of the toughest assignments you'll ever be given. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, the entirety of your being, and love your neighbor as you would want to be loved. And you, my friends, will live. <laughs>